0: God, this morning I'm feeling the weight of the text in Luke 19 uh, that we're going to be reading and studying, and and the weight that I feel is, Lord, I'm so excited for what it has to say to us. Uh, God, it's so exciting, the things that you call us to as your children, and then, Lord, at the same time, I also realize how challenging this text can be to us. We're going to be talking about if we truly trust you as our king and if we truly trust that you're going to return and if we truly believe that we'll spend eternity in your kingdom and when we 're in your kingdom is that that is our time to, to rest and enjoy and to be in your presence and during this time that we have here, there are specific things you're calling us to and and God that can be a challenging message for us as well and so Lord, I just pray that that your spirit would do the work of applying this text to each and every one of our lives, every one of our situations and circumstances. And Lord, helping us to see how there is just so much joy in trusting every part of our lives to you. So help us in that. Help me as I speak from your text. I pray that your spirit would be out front and that you would just use me in that way. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, we'll be in the Gospel of Luke. That's the third book in your New Testament, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we'll be in chapter 19. We're gonna read verses one through 27 today. That takes us all the way up to the triumphal entry, and then we'll uh, study that starting next week on Palm Sunday. I'm so excited about this text as we prayed, but I feel the weight of it because I believe that what we're going to look at in Luke 19 today is going to challenge every single one of us specifically. I really believe that. It was challenging to me this week as I was studying and preparing, but I also believe that What we're called to here in Luke 19 is going to show us a pathway to more joy and purpose than we could ever imagine in this life. I'm so excited about the potential that this passage has when it comes to what we're called to as a church. So let's start here. Let me ask you a question. How do you get rich like, and I'm not, I don't mean figuratively. Like, I mean literally. Like, How do you get more money? How, how does your money and your wealth grow? All right? Totally secular perspective. Just, the answer to that is actually pretty simple. It's not easy. It's definitely not easy. But it's simple. You, you need to make more deposits than you do withdrawals. Right? You need to make more deposits than you do withdrawals. Withdrawals. And you also need to be aware of what you're depositing money into, right? You want to deposit your money into accounts or assets or commodities or businesses or whatever it is that are going to grow, appreciate, and provide you a return. Right, that's why the rich gets richer in our society is because they have money, they put it into things that grow, they take their return, they continue to put it in other things that grow, and it becomes an exponential effect of wealth generation. But that's how you generate wealth in our society and in our economy today. That is how you get richer. You need to invest your money in things that will grow over time. It's a basic principle of wealth Creation. And I think, in a sense, just hang with me, I think this is a principle that God wants us to live by. We'll get to what I mean by that. We've been in the Gospel of Luke uh, for a long time, as I said. This is part 52. And over the last several chapters, Jesus has begun his journey to Jerusalem for his final week, Holy Week where he will eventually be betrayed by his people, arrested, he'll go to the cross, he'll be executed, buried, and resurrected. And over these last several weeks as we've been in these chapters tracing Jesus' journey to Jerusalem for this final week, Jesus has been doing a lot of teaching about the kingdom of God. Jesus has been doing a lot of teaching to his disciples, preparing them for what is about to happen, for the fact that he is about to go to the cross, he is about to die, be resurrected, and also ascend to be with the Father, and they're going to be without his presence in the flesh. And so he's preparing them for this. And so we've talked about this several times through the last several weeks, And we said that Jesus is trying to teach his disciples that his kingdom is going to come in three different phases, if you remember this. Right the, the people of God, the nation of Israel, believed from the Old Testament that God was indeed going to send them a Messiah, a savior, who would establish the kingdom of God. And so for many of them, what they believed that meant was that God was going to send someone who was going to overthrow Rome remember, because Israel's occupied by Rome uh, at the time that this person was going to establish Israel as this powerful kingdom on earth. It was going to be God's kingdom. And so when the people of God were looking for a Messiah, they were looking for someone who would establish this kind of kingdom. Now they read their Bibles right that God was going to send a Messiah. And they did read their Bibles right that that Messiah would establish God's kingdom. But what we're learning in Luke is that it's not going how they thought it would go. Jesus the Messiah is doing it differently. He's establishing this kingdom in a way that they didn't expect. And so Jesus begins to teach on this, and he says, okay, the kingdom's gonna come. I'm gonna establish this kingdom in three different phases. Phase one, if you remember, was his first coming. The first time that he arrives in the flesh. And in phase one, Jesus inaugurates his kingdom, he starts it. But he says, like, it's gonna start really small, like a mustard seed, right, that gets planted and it eventually grows. And so Jesus starts this kingdom with his disciples and he begins to proclaim the good news of the gospel to them. And Jesus then goes to the cross, uh, goes into the grave, defeats death, defeats sin, and he makes a way for people to be reconciled to God. And so what happens is the kingdom starts small in the hearts of just a few. And those people will then begin to multiply. So Jesus goes to the cross, ascends to be with the Father, and that starts phase two, which is the church. It's what we're in right now. See, the disciples, these 12 people who followed Jesus and many others at the time, who then were reconciled to God through the cross are now God's children, begin to proclaim this good news to all of the world. And it begins to spread and grow. People giving their lives to Jesus, following Jesus, following the word of God, living their lives differently than the rest of the world. This is God's kingdom manifest on earth. And through the church, it begins to grow and to multiply. That's phase two. And then Jesus says, one day when you will never expect it, I'm going to come back. The second return of Jesus. That's phase three. And in phase three, that's when I'm going to wipe out sin once and for all, that's when I'm going to judge the wicked, and I'm going to establish a kingdom on earth in its fullness where Jesus is the king, and we live there for all of eternity because death has been defeated. And so that's how Jesus is going to establish this kingdom. And the people of God in our text did not expect it to go that way. And so what Jesus is doing right now is he's preparing his disciples for phase two. He's saying, "I'm a, you, y'all." He, he actually says it pretty plainly to them. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna rise. But it, it kind of goes in one ear, out the other. We saw that last week. But Jesus is preparing his disciples to start the church. He's preparing his disciples to spread the good news of the gospel to the entire world. He's preparing his disciples to be the kingdom of God manifest on earth as we wait for Jesus to return. And so that's kind of where we are in Luke. And so in our text this morning, Jesus is going to do further teaching on what we are called to do in phase two as the kingdom of God manifests on earth. Because that is what the church is. That's what Grace Hill is. That's what every other faithful church is. We are expressions, we are manifestations of the kingdom of God on earth, What we believe, the way we live, how we treat each other, how we worship God and love one another, those are all expressions of the kingdom of God on earth. And in our text today, Jesus is going to continue to teach us what does it look like to live as a manifestation of God's kingdom, because that's the call on every single one of us. We are called to live as manifestations of God's kingdom as we wait for his return, And so here's where we're going to go today, super specific. We're going to learn about today how Jesus transforms how we view and use our resources. I'll define what I mean by that. Our resources while we're living in phase two. Every one of us, we have lives, we have resources, we have money in our bank accounts, we have gifts, we have opportunities, we have relationships with people, we have networks, we have skills, we have all these things, and what we're going to learn about today is how Jesus is going to transform how we view those things and use those things while being a manifestation of God's kingdom on earth. And so, my question for all of us this morning is when we look at all of our resources, are we making more deposits into the kingdom with those resources, or are we withdrawing it for our own personal use? That's a question we're gonna explore and wrestle with this morning as we go. And and the reason why I'm excited about it, even though it's gonna be a challenge, we're gonna have to get pressed a little bit this morning is because just imagine a church unleashed on this world where everyone sees the resources they have as opportunities to manifest the kingdom of God in this world. It gets me so excited to imagine what God's church could do if we allow Jesus to transform our hearts in the way that we're going to read this morning. So let's go to the text. Luke chapter 19, starting in verse uh, 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 10, because I think in verses 1 to 10, this is a story of Jesus with Zacchaeus. So I believe uh, in these verses, we're going to see an example of the transformation that I'm talking about. And then we're gonna hit verses 11 to 27, that's the parable of the 10 minas, and I think we're gonna get an explanation of how Jesus wants us to use our resources during phase two as we are the kingdom of God manifest on earth. All right, so let's hit verses one to 10 first. Says this, now he, that's Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, real quick, let me give you some background on Zacchaeus here. Later in our passage, we learned that he is an offspring of Abraham, meaning he's Jewish. So Zacchaeus is Jewish and he's a chief tax collector, which means that he is hated by his people, by the other Jews, because he was employed by Rome, their occupying nation, he was employed by Rome to collect taxes and give it to Rome. But tax collectors were notorious for upcharging the tax that they had to collect, pocketing that profit, and passing on the rest of that tax to Rome. So these people were seen as frauds, and they were seen as traitors because they were employed and enriched themselves off of the occupying force, that's Rome. All right, so that's Zacchaeus, just to give you a little background on how he's viewed by others. All right, verse three. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. He was short. He was a short guy, so he couldn't see over the crowd. And notice how in verse three it says that he wanted to know who Jesus was. He was seeking to see that. So he didn't know who Jesus was. He heard about Jesus. He heard all the murmurs about him. But he wanted to know further. Verse four. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Jesus is like, I'm gonna, I'm, I, I'm gonna come to your house for dinner, and I need you to put me in the guest room. So he hurried and came down, and I love this part of the text, because there's so much meaning there. It says, and received him joyfully. I think the text is alluding to the fact that Zacchaeus received Jesus way more than just received him into his home. But I think we also see here that he received him into his heart. Let's see why I say that. Lost my place. So he hurried down, came, received him joyfully. Verse seven, and when they saw it, that's the the rest of the crowds, the Pharisees, the other Jews, right? When they saw it, they all grumbled, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. So you have the, the, the uh, devout Jews, the devout religious folk looking at this and saying, wait, that guy claims to be our Messiah. We don't really believe it yet. That guy claims to be a teacher. I'm not sure if he's a good teacher yet, but Zacchaeus, that traitor and that fraud, Jesus just asked to go stay at his house. So they grumbled. Verse eight, and Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, look at this, Lord. Zacchaeus now knows who Jesus is. Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. 50% of my money I'm giving away. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything which he has, I restore it fourfold. I'm gonna pay a 4X reparation for my fraud. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. There are three observations I want us to get through this text before we move on to verse 11. The first one is this. We see a prime example here of Jesus going to the person that everyone least expected he would go to. Jesus going to the person that that person himself probably said, I am the least likely person for God to show favor because I know I'm a fraud and I know I'm a traitor to my people. And Jesus goes straight for him because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He didn't come to seek those who were self-righteous. He didn't come to seek those who don't think they need any saving. He came to seek those who are completely lost. So I just want you to know that if you're here and you don't believe in Jesus and you think you would be the last person that Jesus would ever show any favor to, the text is saying this morning that Jesus is after you because he came to save the lost. And all it means to come to Christ is to Receive Jesus and to receive what he has done for you through going to the cross to pay for your sins, defeating death through his resurrection. And he now offers you a place in his family, forgiveness of your sins, and a new life moving forward. As we see here in Zacchaeus, we see that a transformation happened in Zacchaeus' life here immediately. That's my second observation is we see evidence of a transformation in Zacchaeus' life here. See, it's really clear in the text that when Jesus saw that Zacchaeus would give half of his goods to the poor and he would pay out those reparations to those that he defrauded, that wasn't the reason why Jesus said, salvation has come to the house. No, that was the evidence of what happened inside Zacchaeus' heart before those things happened that displayed the fact that salvation had come to Zacchaeus' house. Because something happened when Jesus sought after Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus received Jesus and everything changed. Transformation in his heart. And all of a sudden, we see, and this is my last observation, we see that the way that Zacchaeus saw his goods, his resources, his money was now completely transformed. Before it, it was all about accumulation, it was all about using it all for himself. But after Jesus grabbed a hold of Zacchaeus's heart, he now saw his goods, his money, his resources as a tool to worship and serve others. See, before, Zacchaeus would make withdrawals from his resources to use on himself, but now he sees his resources as an opportunity to make deposits for the kingdom of God. Everything has changed in how he sees this thing, these things, in his life. And I think it's true for us. When we follow Jesus, when we receive Jesus, he transforms the way that we see our goods, our resources, our money, everything that we have. How? Well, we get teaching on that starting in verse 11. So let's read that together. This is the parable of the 10 minas. Verse 11, it says this, As they heard these things, So they're seeing all of this go down. He proceeded to tell a parable. So Jesus wants to teach further on this, okay? And remember, a parable is a fictional story designed to make a point, all right? That's all a parable is. So he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So again, we see that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. His life, uh, he's about to hit the cross very soon here. And so another thing that's on Jesus' mind is to prepare his people for the kingdom of God, to prepare his people for phase two. So Jesus tells this parable. Verse 12, he said, therefore, here's the parable, a noble man went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom And then return, calling 10 of his servants, he gave them 10 minas. So each of them got a mina. A mina is about three months worth of a wage. So not an insignificant amount of money. All right? Gave each of them a mina, so that's 10 minas uh, total, and said to them, listen to this, engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. So let me establish the parable for a second because all of Jesus' parables are uh, symbolic. So each character symbolizes somebody, okay? So Jesus is saying, let's say there's a noble man and he's like, I'm about to leave, receive a kingdom and come back. So what is Jesus talking about? He's foreshadowing I'm about to go to the cross, buried, resurrected, ascend to be with the Father. I'm leaving. I'm going to receive a kingdom, all right, the Kingdom of God, and when I return, I'm bringing that kingdom, and it's all its fullness. So in the meantime, right? between when I leave and when I return, I have a task for you, my servants. All right? So he's talking about phase two, Phase two. Here's what I want you to do. I'm gonna give you a mina, each of you. I'm gonna give you a mina, all right? All right, so I'm gonna gonna give you something. It's mine. I'm gonna entrust it to you. And he says, engage in business, all right? I want you to engage in business until I come back. We understand where the parable is at and what it means, symbolism, Yes? yes? Yes, all right, great. Let's go back. Verse 15. When he returned... Having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. I want to know what you did with the stuff that I entrusted to you while I was away. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. He 10 x it. That's pretty darn good, Right? So your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in very little, you shall have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. He five it. That's great. It's a pretty good return. And he said to him, are you, uh, and you are to be over five cities. Verse 20. Then another came saying, Lord, here is your mina Right? At put it in the savings account, at least I'll get the 0. .0001% on that. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has 10 already. I tell you that to everyone who has more, who has, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Severe. What do we learn from this parable? God is going to entrust, God has entrusted each and every one of his people with some minas. We'll define that in a second. We'll get to what we mean by minas for each of us. But he has entrusted to each of us resources, minas, and he wants us to invest those in order to make deposits into the kingdom. He wants us to take the resources he has given us, use them wisely, but also invest them so that we can make deposits into the kingdom. Not so that we can withdraw them for our own use, but so we can make deposits into the kingdom. So this is the principle of the mina, right? Here's the principle of the mina. God wants us to maximize our resources here so we can maximize our deposits into the kingdom. God wants us to maximize our resources here so that we can maximize our deposits into the kingdom. In our text, if you saw, there are three different kinds of people in this text. Right, the, the first kind of people we see in the parable are those who uh, don't recognize Jesus as king. You know, these are the people who are like, I don't want him to reign over me. So I don't recognize him as king. And in this particular parable, that was considered an indictment on the Jews because those were God's people. If you look in the text, it says in verse, let me find it for you, 14, it says, but his citizens, so it's clearly referring to the people of God, the nation of Israel, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. And so, One type of person in this parable are people who don't recognize Jesus as king. That's one. The second kind of person in this parable is someone who does recognize Jesus as king. They have received resources from him, but they did not invest it or make deposits into the kingdom, they just held on to it or used it for themselves. And then the third kind of person that we see is someone who received from God and made investments, made deposits into the kingdom. They saw that grow and they were able to give that to God on his return. Those are the three kinds of people. And I think that as we look at the text today, God is calling us to examine ourselves, to ask the question, who am I in this? And if you're here and you follow Jesus and you do see Jesus as king, to ask yourself, am I the person that has received, yes, but I've kind of held on to and I don't use it for kingdom purposes? Or am I a person who, yes, does make investments into the kingdom? I want us to examine ourselves today. Is Jesus king? Do I trust him that if I were to invest his resources, there's going to be a return? Or do I question if Jesus is king? And I don't trust that if I were to invest these resources into kingdom purposes, that there will be a return. Therefore, I need to keep it to myself. What is the condition of our heart in these things? That's the question I have. And so here's what I think is gonna be most helpful for us this morning. It's just this, is I, I literally want to take some time and list out different kinds of minas like it's kind of a weird word, but to list out different kind of minas that God entrusts to us and to ask the question, what does it look like to then invest those, deposit those into the kingdom of God instead of withdrawing them for my own use? I honestly think that would be the most helpful thing as we just all examine ourselves and ask, how do I view and use my resources, the things that God has entrusted to me while he's away and we wait for his return? And so I have a list. We're just going to go through these and then we'll be done. I think the first one that we need to think about when it comes to minas that God has entrusted us with is the one that this entire text is dealing with, and that is our money, our wealth. Not only our money, but also our wealth-making potential. Those are minas that God has entrusted to us. Every dollar that we have as followers of Jesus is a resource that God has entrusted to us, said, engage in business while I'm gone, and he wants us to invest it into his kingdom while he's away. Every single one of them. And so one of the things that excites me about this text is I think right there, you've got the green light. Hey, go make more money. I think you do. I think you've got the green light. Hey, go, be a wise, shrewd manager. Remember that from Luke 16? Invest in things here in this world. Expand those resources, but the challenge of it is God is saying, don't go make more money so you can upgrade lifestyle. Go make more money so you can upgrade your giving. Go make more money so that you can serve those who are without. Go make money so that you can make deposits into God's kingdom. There's the challenge. And so if you have wealth-making potential, if you have resources that you can invest and you can expand it, if you can start businesses, if you're an entrepreneur and that gets you excited, man, green light, go for it, expand it. But my question for you is this, is this a mina that's to be invested in the kingdom of God? Is this something where you can go, great, I've expanded my resources, now I can give more generously to my church, I can fund other gospel initiatives, I can invest these things in God's kingdom, I'm gonna make more deposits with this than I'm going to make withdrawals for myself. You know, when I think about this, you know who's one of the people that I think about, he's gonna kill me for doing this, is uh, our brother Justin Winthers. That brother quit his job because he wanted to start a business, and he's a great entrepreneur. And so he did. And one of the things he did when he said he wanted to start that business is he wanted to allow the resources of that business to also serve his church. So he decided to lease the office right across from our office. And so we have offices just down here, and so he leased right next door. That's where his offices were going to be. And then also, by the nature of the business that he started, he had to uh, uh, purchase a bunch of different equipment that would allow for things like live streaming and podcasts and stuff like that. This was all before the pandemic. So obviously, when the pandemic hit, man, Justin was like, man, I'm ready to make some deposits. And so we were able, that week, that Sunday that everything shut down, to go online to do a full worship set online, to be able to get everything out. And I had pastor friends calling me up and going, dude, how much money did you guys spend in the last week to be able to do that? And I said, zero. Because we had a brother who made some deposits. He saw his resources as something that he could use for the ministry of his church. So when we look at our money, when we look at our bank accounts, we need to ask the question, God, how have you, uh, 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 you've, you've entrusted this to me. How am I to make deposits into the kingdom with it? Another Mina that I think of is our time and our skills and the gifts and abilities that God has given us. These are Minas. These are things that God has given you, entrusted to you, so that you can use them for his kingdom. Man, this past week I saw this church doing it like crazy. As you know, last week, we um, reached out to you about a teen mom that we've been trying to help. Uh, This mom who has a little baby, three weeks old, um, and she's about to lose that baby to the system because of poverty, and the county reached out to us. We've been working with the county, and we reached out to you, and we said, hey, what could we do, Grace Hill? And then people, man, the emails just flooded in. People with different ideas. You know, I could mentor her, I could tutor her because she's trying to finish high school. I could help translate for her because she only speaks Spanish. Can I contribute monthly just to help with some supplies? Can I help with car rides? Can I help with childcare? Just people taking their time, their talents, and their abilities and making some deposits instead of just withdrawals. Your home is Amina, the open bedroom In your house is Amina. That open bed in your house is Amina. And we emailed out and we asked people, does anyone have an open room? And we've got like four or five of you saying, man, my home is there. And there's nothing that manifests the kingdom of God more than people with open homes and open rooms opening it to the most vulnerable. And y'all stepped up to that. We're gonna give this mom a home for a little bit. And we're gonna help her out for a little bit because people are making deposits with the things that God has entrusted to them. Your neighbors and your coworkers and the people that you know around who aren't believers, those relationships are minas. They are relationships that God has entrusted to you. And so when we think about how do I make deposits there? How do I represent God's kingdom? How do I share my faith? How do I provide ways to serve and care for these people? Those are ways of making deposits. This right here, this is Amina. Shameless plug, but I I, I believe it. This is Amina, right? This is an opportunity to go invite someone. Just say, hey, come to Easter. Easter's a time that everybody goes to church. It's the easiest one. That's Amina. Hey, come, because listen, we're gonna share the gospel. And we're gonna have a good time on the town green and drink coffee and eat pizza and do an Easter egg hunt and hopefully conversations can occur and we're gonna serve these people well. This is Amina. I mean, imagine what could happen if you just were to invite a neighbor, hang this up in a Starbucks and someone sees it. Who knows what God would do to transform that person's life? You know, I think of my mom in this. Uh, I grew up here in Herndon, and we had, when I was a kid, we had some neighbors. And uh, my, my parents were, were faithful to sh- talk about their faith with their neighbors, invite them to come to church with us. And so we had these next door neighbors, these two girls that were uh, our age, my brother and I's age, and they would invite them to come to the youth group, they would invite them to come to church. And I don't, I don't ever remember them coming, maybe they did a few times, but they never came consistently. That relationship was Amina, and they had no idea the return that would be made. Over 20 years later, my mom gets a Facebook message. Hey, I wanted you to know that I appreciate the fact that you invited my sister and I to church. You may not have seen it as something significant, but I want you to know today that I follow Jesus and he is Lord and King of my life, and you inviting me to church is a huge part of my story. My mom didn't see that return for 20 years, but she was faithful with the Mina. You have no idea what God will do with a piece of paper, right, and they may grab that piece of paper, toss it in the trash can, and you may have no idea, but maybe it'll do something. We don't know, but these are minas that God entrusts us with ways that we can manifest the kingdom. I'm so, out of time, I got two more. Uh, thank you, Jason. Appreciate that. Um, this one's a hard one. For for many of you in this room, your suffering is a mina. The ways in which. Um, you've had to endure really hard things. Maybe those have been really hard relationships, sickness, um, losing loved ones, um, whatever it is. I mean, there's countless things that we suffer through in this broken world. And many of you have gone through things and you've seen the faithfulness of God in it. And that's Amina. God has entrusted you with an experience. With a, with a unique view of his faithfulness for you to link arms with someone and walk them through it. Your suffering isn't wasted. It's amina. All right, everything that God has entrusted us with is amina, and the question is, am I going to make deposits for the kingdom, or are these things just there for me to make withdrawals for myself? And listen, I'm not saying you can't make withdrawals. I'm not saying that, but I I think a good rule of thumb, a way to examine our hearts, is just to ask the question, do I make more withdrawals than I do deposits? Because we wanna be rich towards God's kingdom. We gotta make more deposits than withdrawals. So I think that's the question. In all of these things, in all of these different examples, all of these things that Jesus has entrusted us with, am I making more deposits than withdrawals? Because it's a sound investment. It's a sound investment because Jesus is king and he is going to return and he is going to establish his kingdom and you will live for all of eternity enjoying the return on that investment. And so I think one of the areas that we could examine ourselves is just ask the question, okay, when it comes to the things that God has entrusted me with, right, is making deposits, is that a joy? Do I trust Jesus with it or is it a chore? Is it a, man, okay, I know I'm supposed to skim a little bit off the top or a little bit of my extra I can give, but the rest of it's for me. I think we gotta examine our hearts because There is so much more joy now in this life in seeing all of the things that God has entrusted to you as investments in his kingdom. Your life will be far more joyful. Your life will be far more purposeful if you take on that view. I can't promise it will be an easier life. I can't promise that there won't be hard things in the midst of it. I can't promise, oh, you'll, don't worry, you'll get to still enjoy all of the creature comforts that this world has to offer. No, I can't promise that. But I can promise a life that is joyful, purposeful, and an eternity in the kingdom of God when he returns. Imagine. Imagine if the church was unleashed on this world as a manifestation of the kingdom of God, taking everything that God has entrusted us with, saying we want to work to maximize that so we can maximize our deposits into God's kingdom. And I'll say this as I end Grace Hill, one of the biggest joys in my life is watching you be faithful to this. Keep going. You're a blessing to this town. You have blessed many lives in this town, and it's just a privilege to serve alongside of you for God's kingdom. Let's pray. Jesus, like I prayed earlier, this text just excites me so much because you've called us into an amazing work, you've given us an incredible calling to take the things that you have given us and entrusted to us and to use those for your kingdom. So God, I pray right now that you would, Holy Spirit, that you would really apply this text to every single one of us individually. And God, we would get excited, excited about the ways that we can start making deposits that maybe we've never thought of or imagined. And I pray, God, that you would multiply our efforts, multiply those investments for your glory and for the good of our neighbors. Help us to be a manifestation of your kingdom here on earth. In Christ's name, amen.